Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. My name is Connor Chato. I'm Nicole Poznov. And we are here with David Letwin. Um, David, I'm going to let you give the introduction to your research because you'll probably do a better job than I will. But uh, what is it you spend your time studying here? Uh, So in a minute, uh, I would say that I study xenobiotic responses in the two-spot spider mite. Um, In reality, it means I spend a lot of time at a microscope handling super small insects, really. Cool. Um, And I'm going to, I guess... There's probably a few ways I can break that down, but maybe starting with what's a spider mite? Uh, That's a good question. So a spider mite is a type of arachnid, actually, and it's a member of the class Acari, uh, and this makes it a a mite. And so what's special about these is they can uh, crawl around on all these different types of plants uh, uh, and, and feed on them, and all these different types of plants are able to produce a wide variety of uh, what we like to call secondary metabolites. So these are things that aren't like sugars or proteins and things like this. Cool. Uh, and are, can these be found in Canada? Should be we should we be worried about them? Uh, they are found globally, actually. So they're they're a, a big problem because we suspect that their range will spread across Canada. And how big are they? Uh, they are very very small, actually. So oh, thank God. <laughs> Um, but there's lots of them, so that's the problem. So you say they, they crawl around on various things and eat them. I imagine they eat the things that uh, we want to be eating, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So they are an agricultural pest, uh, again, a, a global agricultural pest. And so they'll crawl across pretty much any type of plant, and they're able to consume them. Uh, what adds to this being a huge problem for us is that uh, many of these plants that they're able to consume are of course, crop plants, soybeans, corn, uh, wheat, you name it, rice. Um, and so we try to use um, IPM strategies, integrated pest management. It's not a big deal. Essentially, we try to use other insects to control them. That doesn't work out so well. These mites, uh, their populations grow really quickly, and not all of these predators can be available everywhere. And so we also try to use chemicals like pesticides, but uh, unfortunately, they're able to develop resistance very quickly with those. And the second part of your work is xenobiotics. What's that? So, uh, simply, these would be compounds that would be uh, foreign to a living organism. So there will be many things in our food, for example, that we'll eat, uh, things that we're very concerned about, such as uh, fats and proteins and carbs and stuff. But along with that are lots of other chemicals that are produced by the plants and and animals that we consume. And some of these things can be toxic. And so the same thing happens with our spider mites. They consume, of course, the sugars and fats and and amino acids, but with that as well, uh, all these other compounds, uh, things like nicotine and tobacco and such. Hmm. So foreign being a relative term, I imagine uh, everybody has every different species has different things that their body would consider xenobiotic. Um, Almost the same way, you know, you hear like dogs can't eat chocolate. I don't know if that's because chocolate's xenobiotic to dogs or whatever, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's along that kind of like path. What's not like, what would be a xenobiotic for one organism is not necessarily xenobiotic for another. 
So yeah. like alcohol and tobacco for humans, right? Uh, yeah, nicotine is definitely an example of one xenobiotic. Uh, alcohol, I would say so as well. Hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting because we don't, I guess we, we seek out a lot of these things as humans. But, but it's the idea that uh, our body isn't necessarily built to handle them particularly well. Yeah, no one no one does good at six beers deep. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Except for a texting your ex or whatever. Not even know. a spider mite. <laughs> so uh, what's so special with spider mites in regards to these xenobiotics? Why are they uh, the thing you're looking at in these little guys? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, w- what I would say to that is uh, really what we do to counter these uh xenobiotics, at least in humans, alcohol is a really good example, um, is we use these enzymes to chemically modify these small compounds. uh, And this changes their chemical properties, the way they uh, solubilize in water uh, and their ability to negatively affect our systems. And the same kind of thing can happen in the spider mites as well. Uh, But what's special about the spider mites is that they have a, a large gene expansion of these uh, detoxifying enzymes uh, and regulating proteins uh, for this detoxification process. So when we look at this, okay, they're able to consume all these different types of plants that produce these different types of compounds, and we see this huge expansion of these um, different detoxifying enzyme families. This is kind of indicating this is probably why they're able to do this. So they can ultimately uh, eat a lot of whatever they want because they have the genes and enzymes and kind of chemical machinery uh, necessary to just filter out all the other stuff that's in this huge array of plants that they eat. Yeah, so essentially they'll be eating a large swath of different uh, types of chemicals, and they already have in their genome uh, mechanisms that are able to detoxify a really robust array of them. Hmm. So humans, we only have a few we can do. Thank, thank God, ethyl alcohol. You know, we can get that, but you know, uh, we we can't get other things so well. Hmm. So uh, I also think of humans as a group that eats a really diverse uh, amount of food. Like we eat food from all over the world. We're we we've got a pretty diverse diet. Um, are we doing pretty well in terms of our ability to detoxify things, or it's nothing compared to the spider mite? Uh, well, we I don't know about the spider mites too yet. I'm really kind of. My research hasn't elucidated much about uh, uh, this, but it appears for uh, spider mites have us beat uh, hand over fist. It, it's not even a competition. Darn. Yeah, they've got about, uh, I don't know, something like five or six times more of these genes on average. Whoa. We're wow. talking fold by fold increase. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can eat a wide so we, stuff. But some aspects <laughs> of it make us think maybe that's not the case. A lot of these genes are very similar and sequence and this makes us think oh it's just kind of redundant and it doesn't add anything but that's so that's why i'm going to my investigation it looks like they definitely beat us out but uh, we'll have to see cool and so how did you get into this work so where'd you do your undergrad did you always like spider mites i guess i'm throwing a lot of questions at you but uh you know i'll, I'll start with the undergrad one first uh i did my undergrad here at west university uh, Woo! yeah go western <laughs> go stangs um, and that was really great. I enjoyed my undergrad experience here. Um, I came in wanting to be a doctor, as I think almost everyone in science does. Uh, and then I started to learn a lot about genetics. And I was like, well, if everything in biology kind of comes down to this, like, 
why I study anything else, really. Uh, <laughs> Amen. Also uh, a geneticist. But yeah. uh, okay, okay, I see. Yeah, but, uh, you know, there are other things that are interesting. But I was realized that this is kind of like the, the go-to. Uh, everything's got to boil down to this in biology. Um, and then I had a class with my supervisor, actually, Dr. Gerbic, uh, and she had a class about different forms of biotechnology. And that's when I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I found it. This is, like, space wizard stuff. Like, <laughs> make plants uh, do whatever you want. Like, this is so cool. Uh, so I asked her. I was like, I want to do a project in your lab for my fourth year. She agreed. Uh, we arranged that. I was able to do a really interesting uh, double-strand RNA project on the spider mites. Got some great results. Cool. And yeah. then you were, now you're stuck there, eh? Uh, and yeah, and I, I finished that, and... Uh, I was able to secure a short-term grant uh, over the summer, and then uh, I just signed up for the for the masters because I thought, you know, I, I like it here. I like this system. I like what I study, um, and my lab in particular is quite large. So there's lots of senior scientists to really try to like pull wisdom and expertise from, which is what I wanted from my graduate degree. Mm, so how many people are in your lab? Uh, I think there's about a, a dozen total, not including my supervisors. Wow. Uh, several postdocs, uh, um, many graduate students, uh, a lab tech. And everyone's working on the same spider mite species? We do have a few different varieties. So we have a, a spider mite that we've kept in the lab and reared for many years now that we kind of use as a reference to other spider mites. Um, but we also have a, um, some more specialist species, uh, as well as populations I guess they would be spider mites, kind of generally, maybe related to our population, our general one, but um, that actually come from farms. So these would be like live mite samples. Oh, we've got an infestation. We want to know what are the resistant to, uh, you know, what should we do about it, essentially. Yeah, this exact infestation. Like, yeah, like these exact mites. Some, yeah. Just pull these leaves off this off this tomato plant, throw it in a bag, and ship it out to... Ship it out to Vava, I guess. Not going <laughs> to lie, I'm picturing a lab full of, like, containers of spiders. Like, how many spiders do you guys have in this lab? Uh, So it's not full. We just got, like, one little spot. But um, I guess if you go to, like, Weldon, you know those, like, uh, cubicles? Oh, yeah? It's, like, about that area, like, about that surface area. But it's, like, just spider mites. Oh, how many yeah. are in there? Um, I'd probably say north of, like, 6,000 at least. Oh. It shouldn't go below that. That's on the lower end. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So your day-to-day -day lab work is, is handling a lot. How, how big are they? How? So they're about the size of a uh, grain of salt. Okay. So, so, they're, so they're very small. So 6,000, like, it sounds like a lot. Like, oh, man, they're just, like, coming out of the cracks and everything. But, uh, you know, they sit on these little bean leaves. and Yeah. Are it you just ever worried that you're going to leave and going to have a bunch of spiders all over you and uh, bring them home? I, I don't. I, I worry about it because it happens. Uh, oh, I, 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 I wear gloves and stuff, but, uh, you know, sometimes, oh, I got to put that back quick, and then... Oh, they all escape. Yeah. Thankfully, they don't eat people, so just oh. plants. Just plants. They're yeah. pretty chill with people. Um, as, as we know of, maybe they're resistant to all our xenobiotics, and they'll yeah, figure it out one day. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully. Um, <clears throat> did you... I mean, I'm, I'm always interested in, you know, when it becomes your work, you 
totally probably become immune to the idea of a like creepy crawly little spider guy but was that always the case did it take a while to get over the fact you're working with swarms of actually i like from my personal perspective i really welcomed it okay uh, i was actually working in dr mcneil's lab uh, volunteering there a uh, really great professor uh, i love him to death great guy um uh, he works with uh, lepidopterans so caterpillars and moths and such they um, don't have a good order. They, they, they smell very bad, and we kind of make this artificial diet of uh, beans and formaldehyde, and oh, God, it's like a hot smoothie. It and really does not. It's in the middle of summer. It's just oh man, everything about it is just god awful. You probably have to keep the, all the windows closed, right? Like a temperature. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, it's room. just in a small yeah. room, and uh, it just blendies a uh, blenders full of a. Uh, bean formaldehyde smoothie <laughs> and so i upgraded to the gurk lab and there's no strong offensive odors lingering in the air and i was rather alleviated okay. but handling uh, the mites that was a learning curve that took about like a few months at least yeah because handling things the size of a, a grain of sand like there's no there's no tool that can really help you with that <laughs> yeah we, we use a yeah we use a uh, you can't even use tweezers because they're so fragile oh. so we so we use paint brushes but we cut off like all but like a few of the, the hairs on the end of the brush. So you have to manipulate hair by hair. Like yeah, like make contact with the little spider yeah. mites. Actually, there was this one little tool I used. Uh, it was just like a little like, kind of ice pick kind of, and then I taped a single one of my eyelashes to it. Oh my god! Wow. And that worked quite well actually. I my hand eye coordination is oh you so really bad, yeah I could not be. I, I don't lab. do it like naked eye and just like hold it out for me and just yeah but steady <laughs> I get hands, in there that's uh, oh yeah you need the steady hands um it's not so much a, a pain to to look at them you know we use a microscope yeah otherwise it's, you can't tell for sure they're just little, sometimes they're just my work lot. i need to like size select okay only the adult females yeah these are the ones we're really interested in they're kind of like the the main power beyond the populations you know I don't, the men kind of don't really do much. They just kind of walk around. And how hard is it to tell the difference between? Uh, how do you tell the difference between a lady spider mite and a man spider okay. mite? Okay, uh, lady spider mites are actually about twice the size. Okay, and they kind of got like a different shaped caboose rear end. Okay, uh, <laughs> the lady ones are more like rounded and dome shaped. Okay, the boys are, the boys are kind of like an arrowhead. All right, yeah. So it's not super hard to, to it's not super that. hard yeah. but i don't know there's a bunch of them and they like spin the silk and web everywhere so there's like multiple levels of spider mites and it's like okay i gotta reach in and pick out only the females in what type of situation regarding your research would you need to pick out only females or only males um i personally don't pick out only males i don't think anyone else in the lab does we research females or at least i research uh newly molted adult females uh for one particular reason, uh, and I'm pretty certain on this, so <laughs> well, let's 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 leave this in. Uh, when spider mites uh, like reinfest uh, a crop producer's field, uh, it's not always from like an outside source coming in. There's always a plausibility of like they bring in new plant material, but they still have uh, the same bedding or, or something like this. And the spider mite, after it becomes a female. Uh, with certain like environmental conditions, will just kind of travel down and go into senescence. It'll just kind of hang out and hibernate. 
and wait for better conditions. And so when the better conditions come along, it just comes right back out, starts feeding, lays eggs, boom, you establish your colony. And this is because uh, the spider mites reproduce through method known as uh, Arantokas parthenogenesis. I might have butchered that. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I don't a- know anyway, I anyway yeah. <laughs> um, what it really means is that these spider mites, uh, the females, when they're unfertilized, lay uh, eggs that develop into males. And when they're fertilized, lay eggs that develop into females. Mm. So a female can start a colony even if she's not fertilized so, uh, through mating with uh, her progeny. Yeah, girl power. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, go spider mites. <laughs> So they're, I guess the male spider mites then are, are almost kind of like sort of clones of the female in the sense that they don't have any I would, other DNA. Yeah, um, so I'm pretty sure it happens through haplodiploidy. Okay, yeah. I'm not sure if it's a, if it's through the whole genome, like all, the sets of all the chromosomes or just uh, particular sex ones. But I think that's the mechanism, kind of similar to bees there. Okay, yeah. But yeah, the male is kind of like, I think the idea, at least for me, is that males are genetic diversity because there's all that reorganizing and shuffling and then I don't know maybe selection against deleterious genes okay. you know if you don't have a good enough uh, if you have a subpar detoxifying gene as a male and you only got that one copy you're probably not going to beat the other male that does have it you know I don't know something like this I imagine yeah uh, and can your research be applied to any other things that relate more to humans necessarily I would say the molecular end of my stuff, uh, absolutely. Um, so a lot of a lot of these enzymes and things that I'm researching are also being researched in a human health context for cancer research. Uh, and this involves a, a di- digestion and metabolism of uh, chemotherapy uh, uh, treatments. So we have very similar uh, xenobiotics then. Uh, what we what. Compounds that would be a xenobiotic to us uh, may be a xenobiotic to mites, again, because we can kind of eat whatever, really. Um, I would say it, it's really looking at, uh, from the human cancer molecular end of it, you know, what is the substrate specificity of these enzymes uh, in terms of the chemical structures they can react with. Uh, what are their kinetic uh, features, you know, their K-max and, and things like this. Okay. I think on the mite end, it's kind of more of where do we see changes in activity because this change in activity tells us there's like a genetic response and this genetic response we can link to this xenobiotic receptor uh, responsive system. See, you don't have to be a doctor to indirectly help with medicine stuff. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I, I, I thought I was uh, turning away from that path, but uh, I guess... <laughs> I guess not fully. No. All right. So kind of going away from schoolwork, what do you do outside of school? Um, so I like to chill at home and uh, drink beer with my roommates mostly. Hang nice. out on the back patio. But uh, uh, I do some reading and, and I watch uh, Netflix and anime and stuff like that. <laughs> do you play any sports, any instruments? Uh, I don't really play much sports. I work out sometimes, but I don't know. I, I did sports in high school, but kind of fell out of it, and now I spend a lot of time on a microscope. Yeah. Uh, but I play guitar, actually. I started up again recently, and I did a lot in high school, but I only got back into it a few weeks ago, actually. Nice. You're going to be playing at the grad club soon? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'll if I'll be up there uh, 
<laughs> open Rick for McGee. the crackles or Mc- Rick McGee or anything <laughs> like that. But uh, uh, I'll definitely be trying to work on the chords again a bit. That for sh- that's for sure. <laughs> nice. Do you find it's it's like a it's like a balance thing? Like after spending so much time in a lab every day doing really technical scientific stuff, you're just like I need some kind of arts. Just some kind of. Yeah, um, I think to some degree. Uh, I think what a lot of it is for me. Uh, I I have really relished the the research. So yeah. I really like going in and like scratching my head and trying to figure out what this is. I don't think I'm too good at it, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, but. I also need that time to just kind of like, all right, I need to push this to the side and can't think about it all day, every day. You know, it's just, that's kind of, if I do, I kind of hit like a scientist version of writer block, I guess. I kind of stop thinking about things like as broadly as I could and I kind of get stuck in like one little rut and I get like frustrated and like, ah, if I take my time to like watch my animes or like some Netflix or something, <laughs> like play a little guitar or, like have a beer with my roommates like get to relax and like not think about it for a bit and then come back fresh and like oh I had this idea yeah do that's th- good advice for undergrads coming in to do their masters actually okay yeah yeah that's really good advice I guess yeah, yeah. do what you love and take breaks <laughs> yeah take breaks for sure you definitely uh you, you don't want to admit I think in grad school that like you want to take a break because I think we all have a strong assumption to like or strong inclination rather to kind of put the best face forward especially for supervisors and stuff you know we don't be seen as lazy but then there's on the other end all right you're probably not doing like as quality work if you're like 12 hours a day six days a week like just grinding on this uh, this this thesis or like this final essay you gotta write or something like the the amount of times I found myself, you know, I can spend nine hours on a problem and then just get nowhere and then take a break and restart and I'll do that nine hours of problem solving in like three minutes and then it's done and I fixed it. Like it's just Yeah, it only took like a five minute like chew bubble come and like go to the washroom or whatever, kinda yeah. like chill. Yeah. And then boom, takes it from a nine hour problem to three minutes and it's like, Oh wow, that was so easy. I just needed to give my brain a break and not try to push so much on it yeah personally yeah. I also find that if I spend like 20 hours doing work I need like 20 hours to relax but like if I do like <laughs> five hours of work that I can take like an hour break and it's fine mm-hmm. so. yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely get a little bit of that too and I think it kind of helps with the anxiety a little bit as well you know you got a lot of a lot of work to do um, and no one's really on you about it you know mm. no, it's not like that in undergrad either but it's very even much less so. Like yeah. my supervisor spends weeks away at that time, so yeah, it's no nice one's like, no one's to... there. So I gotta make sure that like I'm on myself, but I won't be doing well and I won't be like wanting to do that mm-hmm. if I'm not taking breaks and like relaxing. At least like trying to enjoy some of my time. Still yeah. young right now. It's nice that you have such a big lab. Like so many people in your lab, though, you guys can always help each other because you guys are all working on similar things, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys can answer each other's questions, be there for each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the for me at least the big one is uh, I don't really answer too many questions because I'm definitely one of the younger people in the lab, uh, but getting a lot of those uh, questions kind of bounced around in the group with everyone else. Yeah. So there's a lot of times I've found where I've come up with a good question that you know, my colleagues will know the answer to, or maybe they won't, but it start but it starts a large discussion around this. Mm. So it's uh, uh, it's really nice to have people with experiences and backgrounds from different aspects in, uh, of science. 
There are yeah. some people in my lab that are kind of more towards a cell bio, more towards adaptation, more towards plant genetics, and more towards uh, enzyme kinetics and th- different things yeah. like that. More chemical sometimes. Yeah, and then there's more, 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 yeah, more biological, yeah. more physiological, more genetic. And so there's lots of different expertise and a lot of overlap, mm-hmm. especially with all of our projects. So that kind of discussion of, man, I'm running into a road, road, like road bump. I don't really know what to do here. My setup's not working too well. It's like, oh, when I did my experiment, I I looked at these two setups and saw that this setup caused this. And yeah. so maybe you should go for this other setup because you want to avoid that. Nice. It's like, oh, okay, that's great. Like, perfect. Back I'll still start up. fresh tomorrow. You know, cool. go back home, drink a beer or something, start fresh tomorrow. <laughs> reset. Reset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a beer is that reset button. <laughs> can be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you find, I mean, you're a first year master's student, but um, mm-hmm. maybe this will this will come with time. But do you find your lab is, is pretty tight? You can spend a lot of time talking to each other. You're kind of all in the same space. Or uh, is it pretty broken up in terms of the way people uh, spend their time? Like you don't necessarily interact with your lab mates as much, or are y'all like in one room together? Uh, it it's a little bit of both. Okay. Um, so we spend a lot of time in uh, our, our main lab. We got all our chemicals there, all our mites. So we kind of have to be together there, you know, if we don't really want to see each other too much. Um, um, but again, as I mentioned, everyone comes from different backgrounds. So I'm one of the youngest guys there uh, you know there are other people who have been just got married been married for a few years yeah you know there are people in the lab who have kids it's yeah. like so there's lots of different uh, backgrounds yeah so we don't necessarily spend a, a lot of time outside but we do have like uh, you know lab like uh, what's the word I'm looking for social uh, uh, yeah lab like social times uh, nice. like you know when you like cook a meal, but then everyone cooks a meal and they come together. What's it called? A potluck. Potluck. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, those yeah. are the best. Yes, yeah, so you have like awesome. lab potlucks and stuff. Yeah. And where do you see yourself after your master's? Do you see yourself continuing this work? Um, I really like it, but I think I I, I see myself really uh, transitioning from the academic realm uh, to the business realm. In particular, uh, as I mentioned really briefly, this kind of pest management stuff. That happens in agriculture, and uh, uh, yeah, so I see myself kind of transitioning there from academia. That's awesome. All right, well, just to wrap it up, thank you so much for coming on the show. If anyone wants to learn more about David uh, or get in contact with you, what's the best way to do so? So you can just uh, reach me at my UWO email. It's dletwin3, that's D-L-E-T-W-I-N-3 at uwo.ca. Thank you. And this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. If you would like to listen to us, we're on CHRW 94.9 every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Also, you can listen to us on our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alternatively, select, podca- select podcasts can be watched on YouTube at GradCast Radio. This episode with our guest David was hosted by Nicole Poznov and Connor Chato and produced by Ariel. Thank you for listening and have a great night.
The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.